You're listening to the Poshcore Podcast. I'm here with Adrian Hall, who served in Peace Corps Ethiopia from 2012 to 2014 and now lives here in Oakland, California. So a few weeks ago, I contacted you about wanting to do this podcast about the experience of being a black volunteer in the Peace Corps. And so I kind of just emailed you out of the blue. And I was just wondering, like, what you thought when I randomly emailed you about this. Yeah, it was, I thought it was a good opportunity, like, that you offered to just kind of give the space to talk about it. But I was a little overwhelmed, to be honest, because I thought a lot about, um, like, being a Black Peace Corps volunteer, but never, like, intensely and kind of hesitated to either blog about it or write about it, just kind of live through it. But I really didn't pick apart like the effect or impact of race on my service. But um, <laughs> when it came up, it was like kind of being thrown back into it and just the confusion and trying to wrap my mind around my thoughts and my feelings and more importantly, like what I would want to convey to an audience. Hmm. Why do you think you are hesitant about blogging about it? <sighs> There's just that... I think there's just a lot of pressure around being able to articulate certain things because you're always combated with either you're too sensitive or you're pulling the race card or, you know, you're making something about race when you know it is about race because, you know, I've lived almost 30 years now and I know what it feels like to have to navigate and to be part of an experience or an institution that is not representative or is not mindful or doesn't really have you in mind. So figuring out a way to say that and be astute <laughs> or be um, have a million facts to back it up. And I think looking back on my service and to see how I survived in the Peace Corps, and a lot of it was just staying under the radar, staying out of people's conversations, like not dealing with the institution so much, but just like living my Peace Corps service. So. Mm-hmm. so you ended up getting together a few other returned Peace Corps volunteers. How did you how did you find them? How did you get that group together? Uh, I had an idea of the, the few black Peace Corps volunteers that I knew in, um, in the Bay Area. So yeah, I just tried to get as many perspectives as possible. I thought it would be a rich discussion to talk about the different regions and depending on where you served or you know, whether you're male or female or other layers that add on to that. So we just ended up with three broad questions and just let the conversation go as it went. Adrian sent me a couple, like, discussion guide questions that you thought about. Um, So I don't know what the... This is our first time all together. Yeah. (laughs) Some of us even meeting each other. But... I'm sure we all have different perspectives and experiences, so I'll start with the first question. What was the impact of race or physical appearance on your Peace Corps service? I didn't know anyone who served in the Peace Corps, so when I decided to apply, I scrambled to like find someone to hear about their experience, like you know what to expect, and um, someone recommended this woman that I should just email. We never met. 
And one of the things she replied back into my email was that, oh, I noticed your profile pic, like that you're black <laughs> and you might want to talk to someone about how that'll impact your service. And this is early in the application process before I knew what country I was going to. And I really didn't know how to take her comment because I, I'd never even really thought about that in, in my decision to serve. You know, I served in Ethiopia, an African country, and um, when we had the counterpart ceremony, you know, my assigned counterpart whispered to another volunteer, like, oh, your community is going to be, you know, disappointed because you're not a real American. And um, that counterpart actually stopped working with me <laughs> as soon as I moved to site, so. My name is Olivia Oxley, and I served in Mongolia from 2013 to 2015. My host family kind of looked at me like they were confused, like, why can't we get, like, one of the white volunteers? Like, they had, like, this puzzled look on their face that I would never forget, and it was so funny because, like, my other friend who was Asian, like, he kind of had the same reaction from his family because I guess, like, their perception of Americans, it is usually, like, a person of white descent. So to, to have someone who was, I guess, not that for them, it was very difficult to handle. It was very hard my first year because it was kind of like their initial interaction with me and the first time many of the people in my town even saw a person of black descent so they were just kind of more puzzled and confused and I mean some people were you know they they were racist or they had some kind of racial tension because I was black but after a while like when they finally got to know me and they got comfortable with me that's when everything that's when it was kind of like smooth sailing. My name is Stephen Ellison, and I served in Mongolia from 2012 to 2014. Before I went to Mongolia, I didn't really look into any of what Mongolia was about, what the people were about, what the demographics were like. And race, my personal race, as being a black American and being a male, never really crossed my mind. Maybe it was me being naive or something. In the very beginning, again, I was completely oblivious to it. And a lot of times it was the other non-black American volunteers who would tell me, like, a lot of people are staring at you. And that's when I began to notice, like, I wonder if that's a race thing. But one of the first moments that really stood out to me was when I first went to see my host family. And uh, like we got out of this, this white van, and then uh, I just kind of stood up. And I'm very tall, about 6'2", uh, fairly dark skin. And they kind of had this look on their face. It wasn't a negative look, but it was definitely something that I would say was surprise, as if they definitely did not expect, I think, to, to see a, a gigantic <laughs> uh, black person going into their home. And uh, it was, again, it wasn't a negative experience by, by any means, but it definitely seemed unexpected for them. When I began to learn a little bit more of the language is when I began to see more of kind of the, some of the stereotypes, a lot of the stereotypes really, towards black Americans. I remember meeting someone who was about a grandfather's age, probably in his like 60s or 70s, and hearing him say like, so where are you from? Like, oh, you're from Africa, right? Black people are from Africa. And I remember telling him like, no, I'm definitely, you know, I'm black, I'm American. And he was like, no, 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 all Americans are white, is what he told me. And I was just so surprised to hear anybody say that in 2012 at the time. And it didn't really offend me. I kind of just, in my mind, I thought his world is so small. I was the 10th volunteer in my town. There had been Asian and white American volunteers. So they were very accustomed to having foreigners around, but they definitely were not accustomed to having black foreigners around. My name is Portia Boykin, and I served in Ecuador from 2011 to 2013. And people were just really intrigued by the way I looked. I'm a foot taller, I'm almost six feet tall. And the fact that I'm a black woman, they were more thinking she's Latina, so she's not American. She's from an island. A lot of times with the black community, the Afro-Ecuadorians, they would say, well, where are you really from? Where's your family really from? And so uh, for them, they had to 
get into the concept that I am American and that there are black people in America as well as Latin America. My name is Ryan Carriker Ford. I served in the Republic of Panama from 2011 to 2014. When I got to country, I realized I look Panamanian. A lot of volunteers will have the, I'm different, but I'm American, and we can see that. But I had the, I'm different, I'm American, but I look Panamanian, it was getting them to believe that I was American. They, they begin to accept you after a while, but I'd say it was probably about a good nine months, probably in the amount of time that it took me to learn Spanish so that I could effectively communicate what I was feeling to them. And it took me about that amount of time to feel comfortable telling them the truth about this is how this makes me feel and you should be aware of that. And their feelings on, oh, this is what we see Americans as. You know, they watch TV and they see Rambo and they think that that's just how Americans are. They were kind of like, you know, we, we listen to, to black music, we listen to the rap and to the R&B, we watch the NBA, we know the kind of things you like to do. So like they picked me first for basketball and, <laughs> excuse me, and for volleyball, and I was like, I'm just not... I'm just really not an athlete. And then he'd be like, come on, Steven, don't be shy. We know you can do it. We know you have the dance skills. We know it. We've seen it before. <laughs> like, did you see me or did you see another black guy? Maybe you think, like, is this really all they see of us in American television, in American news? Is this what people would ask me, like, yeah, I've seen Detroit. Why are black people so violent? And so for me, it was a lot of it was, it was uncomfortable sometimes, but there were very teachable moments for me, which I thought was really good. Someone asked me if I washed my hair. And I looked at them puzzled. I said, what do you mean? They said, do you wash your hair? I said, of course I wash my hair. Why don't you think I wash my hair? Oh, you know, I mean, it just looks like this. I said, my hair is clean and it smells good. I was so <laughs> upset. But um, when you're a Peace Corps volunteer, you know, a lot of times your community may meet an American for the first time, a black American for the first time. And so, um, like you were saying, uh, it's a teachable moment. So I just chose to focus on this as a knowledge-building moment and let them know that, yes, my hair is, smells good, it feels good, and I wash my hair just like you wash your body or wash your face every day. Isn't, aren't, isn't the teachable moment thing also very burdensome? Like, mm -hmm. Yes. I don't, I don't know. I would disagree. I think that's the reason you joined the Peace Corps. I mean, you go to promote peace and friendship, like goal one, obviously, but... I went to kind of have those, not awkward conversations, mm -hmm. but to not only broaden my horizons, but to open someone else's mind in a way that we can't really understand. Just to add to that, um, so some teachable moments are burdensome and some are actually enjoyable. And in Peace Corps, I really love talking to kids because we were all kids at one point. We were all inquisitive. And um, I remember one little girl, she was multiracial. She was half German, half Mestizo Ecuadorian. And so she had fairly light skin. And one day she asked me, she said, why is your skin so dark? And I was like, oh, this is a good question. <laughs> and I said, well, why do you think my skin is so dark? And she said, well, my mom told me some people have dark skin because of the sun. I said, your mom is right. But there are other people who were born with dark skin because of their genetics and their DNA and where they come from, 
in reference to the world. And she said, really? And so I went in and explained to her about, you know, black people in America and Africans. And she said, okay, thank you. And she went back in with her mom. Little kids remember things like that. So it's the way you react to them that um, sets them apart when they grow up to become adults. Mm -hmm. So good teachable moments. <laughs> I think that goes back to the teacher moment. I felt like I spent so much of my, the beginning, like the first year of my service saying, I'm an American. Like, I know I'm black. I look like I'm here, from here, but I was born in America. My family's from America. My my mom, my dad, I'll show you a picture. My entire family, they were born in America. But even literally the week before I left country, I, I was at this award ceremony for a hospital I worked with. And the CEO, who I worked with for, like, months and months on end, he announced me to the the audience as, like, yeah, this is our African sister, you know, Adrian. Which is, you know, by that time, I was totally thought it was funny and cute, and I was totally okay with it. But I think um, somewhere after the first year, I just stopped putting so much energy into that. Like, I'm an American, because really people... It, it wasn't that people were trying to deny me of saying that I was American because I was black. I mean, that was part of it, like people having an idea of what Americans look like. But I, I had a conversation with my counterpart, actually, my second counterpart, not the one who did <laughs> me because I'm black, but my awesome counterpart who like just mentored me and just made everything better. But anyway, she just said it's because it feels like you're de denying your roots when you say you're just American. So... It's not that, like, people get that you were born in America, but they just don't understand. It, it, it feels like you're setting yourself apart and from your, like, heritage or your ancestry. So, and I, I, of course, I had to explain to her and many people about, like, why I don't know what African country I'm from or why it's unlikely that I'm actually from Ethiopia. And having that discussion about the slave trade and trying to be very like light-hearted about it when I had never had to have so many conversations and discussions and, I, and I'm talking to people who look you know just like me to other mm -hmm. volunteers and constantly having to say well I'm American and this is why yes actually I'm African-American but I don't know exactly what African country my heritage is from so you know I think we had a running joke of like you know why don't you tell me where I look like I'm from because I really have no idea so you're trying to make light of this really, like, for me, it was like, a, it became a big confliction because I felt like this is something that I don't know and I wish I did know. You know, I, I, I have, like, that was taken from me and I'm trying to make this a teachable moment, but I haven't really settled my thoughts or come to terms with that. And so, you know, you're trying to <laughs> present America as this very diverse place but it, there's a really like deep and harsh history there Okay, so, any thoughts? Yeah, um, it's tough to hear yourself, you know, talk about that because I really had a, a really great Peace Corps experience and I really enjoyed my service. You know, I don't want to make it seem like I didn't have a great time, but I also don't want to downplay how, you know, frustrating or, like, sad that could be. 
was wondering if you would tell me what happened with your first counterpart. So we have a counterpart workshop where you meet your counterpart for the first time. And, you know, everything's still new and awkward. You're <laughs> still one month into Peace Corps. And, um, yeah, my counterpart whispered something to the extent of, yeah, are your community's going to be disappointed that, you know, you didn't get a real volunteer. And so when it was actually time to move to my town to spend for two years, uh, my counterpart was nowhere to be found, didn't answer my calls, didn't, you know, didn't want to do any projects together. So I had to scramble and actually try maybe three other counterparts. And it just was this, like, people do not want to work with me in this town. And... Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think that a lot of that had to do with me being a woman, me being black, me not being seen as a resource to the community, um, nothing better to offer. And I, I had people blatantly, you know, say that to my face that I tried to work with, so. Did you get any support from the Peace Corps office with those issues you were having finding a counterpart that would work with you? I reached out to the office and I never expressed it in a way of having to do with race or anything. You're afraid to talk about it because you're afraid of people telling you to just suck it up or this is what you signed up for or, you know, um, maybe you shouldn't be here if you thought it was going to be easy. Like, those are the things people tell volunteers. And, yeah, there's a fine line with that. But um, I always wrestle with, like, how much of this... It's just the hardship that you sign up for and how much of it, you know, you could have better support to, like, work through these issues. Um, Peace Corps actually came out to my site, talked to the health office, set up a new counterpart. And the new counterpart, we kind of worked together for maybe a month, and then he just also disappeared. <laughs> just, you know, out of, out of the blue, I'm not really sure what was happening. And it was time for in-service training where everybody's counterpart is there, and I was the only person without a counterpart because my counterpart just didn't show up. I actually found my new counterpart through another volunteer who had extended two years. Like, totally went outside of the Peace Corps office, just, you know, saw an opportunity and made it work, and it, which was the best thing that happened to me. And um, I still had, like, a year and a half to make up for it, and it was an awesome, you know, year and a half to make up for the first eight months that were just really rough. Yeah, I will say that my host family was really welcoming. So that made it better, but that's definitely not the case for a lot of volunteers. Um, like if I if I would have had a rough host family and then had the the work situation break down the way it did over and over for months, like I, I don't know that I could have made it through my service. And to think about how many volunteers don't get through training because of you know, issues with host family, issues with language and cultural instructors who in the language class might have some assumptions about you or, you know, staff who have biases and, you know, don't treat volunteers the same because they don't recognize that it's based on a personal bias of who they see as being combative or who they see as being, you know, challenging. But, you know, it's not, it's not equal yeah, I've talked to volunteers recently who didn't complete service. It could have easily been me. Like, it could have easily been me, like, 
who would have like terminated service just because of those frustrations and what a shame <laughs> what a shame that would have been if I you know had given up so. yeah well on the note of um, how the Peace Corps can support its volunteers in all these situations we can listen to the, the next section I came in my group there were only three other uh, African Americans we were all female and then you know by the end of my first year I was the last one standing so I kind of had like this pressure on me like you have you know like you're the you're the one representing your whole race <laughs> for, for this group that you're in like you have to kind of stay strong there were five black males out of maybe 300 in the three years that I was there. And you do become the spokesman for, like, your entire race. It was just like how you react to situations is how some people are going to take it back and be like, oh, that's how black people react to this. Even kind of some of the interactions that I've had with, you know, people in my group, for the most part, like, it's been very positive. We got along very well, but... I remember having this one interaction with a girl that I was very close with and she was just telling me, she was like, you know, Olivia, like, you're not like other like black people that I've like interacted with. Like, you're kind of like the exception, like the, the black people that I've met, like, you know, like they're just really poor, like, you know, that like they, they kind of... <laughs> Why are you laughing? Like, not, not like that, kind of like they just... <laughs> blatantly racist. That is blatantly racist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no. People have said some very blatantly racist yeah, things. The and most, I don't know. A lot of it comes The most from racist these, yeah. things I've ever heard were from volunteers. Yeah. They weren't yeah. from um, host country nationals. Yeah. Like, by far. Yeah. I was just flabbergasted by some of the just offensive things that people would say about Ethiopians, about, you know, other volunteers in the group, probably about me behind my back, in front of my face. And... I never, I always felt like I had to fight that fight by myself. Like, I was always the one to call people out, call it out. And that was really hurtful because I think I would ride for other volunteers. Like, if someone's getting rocks thrown at them, called a Ferengi, which is like foreigner, what, you know, whatever the issue is, you support each other. You know, you attack that if you're there together. But if it was ever about race, it was this, like, awkward either not acknowledging that it's a problem or when I acknowledge it as it being a problem being, you know, kind of blowing things out of proportion, then you get painted to be that person who's like taking things too serious or too so the combative, mad the mad black woman, which is a whole nother level of just like issues that you would have to address. So I, yeah, that was difficult because you might even be, it might even be a volunteer that you became to be really close with. And then when it came down to it, to these kinds of issues, you didn't get that support from them, and it's like, where do you, where, where do you, you turn? Who you talk to about? Like, I, I feel like we just, I just internalized it. I didn't encounter a lot of racism, really, at all, from volunteers that I knew. Um, but I would wonder sometimes if we heard something that was kind of, you know, racist or you know, somewhat race-based from a Mongolian, 
I would wonder, like, is it is it up to me? Like, do I have to be the one that responds to this? And a lot of the times, like, people would walk away and be like, all right, Steve, you have this. It's kind of the impression that I got. And I remember during my training, there was a Mongolian man who was, like, the male and the husband of, you know, somebody who, who was teaching us. And he just dropped the N-word one day to me directly. And I was just kind of like, and all the white volunteers were around. But kind of look around, and I'm like, I guess I, it is up to me. I do want to address this. This was maybe week, like, month from one or something. So I'm like, okay, how am I going to address this in the most basic Mongolian? But I felt like it was just me. Like, if I didn't answer it, nobody else would. Mm -hmm. So I think it might have been nice sometimes to have maybe somebody else who wasn't black to kind of come in and be like, okay, he's not the crazy black person who gets offended by things. But this is something that is just not okay for anyone to say, you know. So going back to the whole teachable moments being burdensome, like, these are the type of teachable moments that are burdensome for me in my experience. I always happen to be that voice of reason when you just kind of want to sit back and watch the game and sit back and watch football and do mm -hmm. the dancing that everyone else is doing you don't want to always have to be the voice even though I was because I love educating people about my culture but it became burdensome at times a lot of times when I was in situations where I was like that's racist um I chose not to address it but it was someone else, like someone either in my group or, and a lot of times there would be white females that would tell other volunteers, you need to check your privilege. And um, I was taken aback to have someone defend me. Yeah, I would never forget that. She told this girl to check her privilege. <laughs> Sounds like my kind of. Group. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's down that. for the cause. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I thought a lot of Peace Corps was people saying, "Oh, locals do this," or "All Ethiopians do this." A uh, training in particular, I walked out of during PST because mm -hmm. a volunteer leader was saying, "All Ethiopians are this," and they can't understand this because they're all like this. Mm -hmm. So. That shouldn't be allowed, and, and I felt like that lingo carried throughout volunteer conversations, the way we refer to other host country nationals. You're, you're almost like indoctrinated into this like language that is just totally not okay. And I wish um, people would have done a better job, maybe staff or leadership, in calling out some of this language that it leads to stereotypes, it leads to prejudices, it leads to, you know, lumping all people together and, and you know, it's just, it should just be broken down from the beginning. I get what you're saying on that because we had the same situation happen in Ecuador uh, to the point where we had to make our own diversity working group. And once we held a training with the staff, we did this very, um, like, engaging training on stereotypes. After the training with them, they came up to us and thanked us for allowing them the space because they felt afraid to even talk about it. We said, no, it's okay if you have questions, ask us questions because you're coming from a place that you are seeking knowledge. You're not coming from a place of prejudice. So as volunteers, we instilled that. Um, hopefully every other Peace Corps country has something like that, but I know that the staff is taking efforts into doing the trainings differently, mm -hmm. doing more diversity trainings now. So it's a long time coming, but it's, it's here. It is here. I can't say that.
So I called Portia up earlier because I had some more questions for her since she's a regional diversity recruiter mm-hmm. for Peace Corps. Um, and she was telling me that she's one of six people doing that position across the country and that that was a position that was created in 2014 to try to um, increase the diversity of the applicant pool with the goal of having it reflect the diversity of the U.S. as a whole. And the diversity of the applicant pool has actually moved quite a bit over the past few years. So according to 2010 census data, the U.S. population itself is about 72% white and 28% minority. In 2005, the pool of Peace Corps applicants was only 19% minority. Um, But with this institutional push that seems to be happening, that's increased to be 35% in 2015. Oh, wow. And since we're talking specifically about the black experience in this podcast, um, about 13% of people in the U.S. identify as black, and in 2015, about 12% of the Peace Corps applicant pool identified as black. So, you know, it seems like they have made some strides with improving diversity in those who are applying to Peace Corps. Um, But one thing that came up when we were talking, and also when I was talking to Portia, is you know, then you have to take into account the actual placement and retention of volunteers. Yeah. So that was something that we were sort of getting into, like the retention and the the dropout rate for different demographics. There's actually a group, a Facebook group for Black Peace Corps volunteers, and it's kind of alarming the number of messages you read about that, about people who didn't finish and who come to the group and kind of hash it out where it's, it's, all, it's I don't want to say it's too late, but um, at that point they're already back home, so mm. if we could have, like if they had the resource, if they had someone they could have talked through, because sometimes you don't have internet or you don't have a PCVL who you identify with or a volunteer new, nearby who you can like talk to about that, so yeah, I guess I feel a little bit guilty for um, not being a resource to other volunteers who might have had the same issues. I think a, a lot more um, minority volunteers would complete service and probably even extend and go into leadership positions if you know there was a better support system, whether informally or formally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was one thing I was reading. The 2016-2017 strategic plan, one of the ideas that it looks like they're going to try to implement is some kind of mentoring to attempt to help with potential retention issues? I think the biggest thing that Peace Corps volunteers or staff can do is just listen to what people are saying without saying, oh, well, you probably misunderstood this. Just listen. (laughs) Listen to what they're saying and just take yourself out of it. The tough part about talking about, I think, race and, you know, black experience with non-black volunteers or staff is just um, people get really uncomfortable it's okay. <laughs> you should be uncomfortable, you know. It, you have to you have to deal with the discomfort cuz uh, that's the only way you learn and that's the only way um you can show that you're like committed to learning about my experience. Adrian mentioned privilege earlier, and I felt like maybe because being uh, like an African-American volunteer, I, I felt hyper-aware of 
how I spoke about Mongolians, so I felt like I would always try to use qualifying statements like some Mongolians, or in my experience, you know, some Mongolians do this. But one of the things that I did find myself doing probably up until the end of my service was generalizing my experience as a black person in Mongolia. I kind of assumed that because I've received a lot of positive attention mm -hmm. from Mongolians, even if they had a lot of questions that made me uncomfortable sometimes, most of it came from, like, I just want to know more about you, is the way that I saw it. And so I kind of assumed that black people in Mongolia were having the same sort of experience. And it wasn't until I met a Mongolian who became probably one of my best friends. She, uh, she actually told me that Mongolians view black Americans very differently than they view black Africans. And she was telling me that you know, black Americans are, are great, they're cool, like black Africans, you know, they're poor, you may not want to be around them. And so there's definitely a lot of privilege in being an American and being black. I think privilege is an interesting thing, especially in Peace Corps. Like, I realize that I have male privilege. Mm -hmm. There are conversations I never need to have mm -hmm. and situations I'm never going to be in because I'm a male. So there were black female volunteers in Panama that had degrees in engineering or architecture and they knew what they were talking about with relation to water systems and hydraulic grade lines and but they weren't taken as seriously, not because they were African-Americans, but because they were females. And I could say the exact same thing, but because I'm a male, it carried more weight. Being able to kind of experience what life is like in another country, especially a developing country, it was a very humbling experience. Like, you don't realize how good you have it in America, even if you're low income. It's just a simple thing as, you know, having a faucet. Just kind of just the simplicity of that. Like, I don't know, for me, it was, it made me realize what my privilege was, you know, because automatically, like, you're thinking, you know, ever since, you know, you came out of the womb, just having that association with your race, it's kind of, it's just kind of like a negative thing that's always kind of like on your back, like a weight that you just always have to carry. So you kind of don't notice that, okay, like, you know, I do have this weight on my shoulders, but at the same time, like, I, I have so much privilege. Yeah, I love this word, privilege. I mean, I had it my whole life, the the word, <laughs> but I feel like it wasn't until after Peace Corps that I, it, it had the same meaning for me. And I remember um, I was coming back and I was explaining to someone why I really actually wanted to stay in Ethiopia. And I was explaining that I just felt more value in the work that I was doing and the projects that I had and um, I was talking about some of the projects that I did and, and the girl that I was talking to she was just like yeah well you know it's because you were privileged <laughs> you know and I was like yeah you're absolutely right like it, it's it, you don't think of how you being a volunteer being American me in particular because I feel like I had a really hard time proving myself because I'm, I'm black I'm a woman I was working in health, but I had a business degree. So there were just so many layers of me having to prove that I could sit at the table with men. But um, I, it wasn't, I didn't really think of it as me being privileged enough to, you know, do the projects that I was doing or like, you know, work with the head of the bureau, but it's total pr privilege. So yeah, I wish I had the same command of the word earlier <laughs> and to be able to call it out. But, um, that was one of the things that I, I got back and I'm like, oh, I love this word and I just want to teach everyone about it. <laughs> I think um, when I came back from, from Peace Corps Mongolia, uh, I kind of interpreted my Peace Corps experience as being uh, 
I guess, a further step, I guess, on the path that I felt that I was going in my life at the time. And I felt like it was a path of really of moving into greater and greater diversity and greater and greater uh, experiences that were outside of the place that I was raised. You know, growing up, I was uh, in Philadelphia. I went to an elementary school that wasn't horrible, but it wasn't great, but it was vast majority black. And I remember when the first two white kids came, everybody's like, whoa, what are these guys doing here? <laughs> and then going on to high school and then seeing the percentage of black students drop but as, as white students increase and Hispanic students increase and Asian students increase and then going to college and it's kind of even a, even greater stuff that even less black people and then from there to Peace Corps where there's very 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 few black people and I saw a lot of commonalities between how people I guess I would say interact with you when they don't have any previous experience of dealing with anyone who, who, who looks like you and so for me a lot of it I didn't really feel like I could blame people for the way that they would act sometimes because I felt like a lot of it was just was just ignorance. You know, I felt like that could have easily been me had I not had the experience that I had. Mm -hmm. So for a lot of them, it was like, this is their first time meeting somebody like me. And I could actually relate that back to people in America who grew up in more inclusive communities where, they, where it wasn't very diverse. And I remember having very close friends in college tell me, Steve, you're my first black friend. Like, there were two black kids in my, in my high school, but I didn't know them. And then kind of having that same experience in Mongolia where they were like, like all we knew of blackness was what we saw on TV. And I think a lot of Americans who live in really inclusive communities have that same experience. To kind of piggyback off Stephen's story, I was that person, like, I didn't have a white friend until I went to Peace Corps. I was always in the majority in, like, school. I'm from Detroit. You know, I, like, in my community, it was not until I went to Peace Corps where I was a minority and felt like a minority. And I do appreciate Peace Corps for giving me that exposure. I mean, it, it's something that would have happened eventually anyway, but I think that it was one of the best contexts for it to have happened, not to do it in a corporate setting, but to do it in a place where not only am I the minority, but they're the minority too. So we can relate to each other on that aspect. You're the outsider. I'm the outsider. We have that in common. I think um, for me, my Peace Corps experience gave me a heightened sense of uh, social and cultural awareness. Um, I was kind of aware, but it just, my consciousness just grew to a higher level. Again, I was born in Mobile, Alabama, and we moved to California when I was seven. The first time that I met someone that was neither white or black, she was uh, an Asian woman, she was Japanese. And I rem remember being that kid, like touching her, like asking her so many questions. I thought she was the most beautiful woman that I had ever seen in my life. And her reaction to me was just so loving and caring and she answered all my questions. And being in Peace Corps, having that same experience, someone pulling on me, touching on me, um, I could have easily gone left and say, why are you doing this? Why are you, you know, reacted negatively. But I always remember this woman, this beautiful Japanese woman I met. She was so loving and caring to me. Um, I show the same thing to them. And I always, you know, treat my Peace Corps experience as that educational moment. And coming back from it, I'm the same way now. Like, I'm a big advocate of asking questions about things I didn't know. I always put myself back into seven-year-old Portia. I asked that Japanese woman, everything that I could just because she didn't look like me. And um, as adults, of course, we can do that more 
in an educated manner, mm-hmm. um, but just like combating our own stereotypes and getting out of our own comfort zones. I think that's the thing that we have to tap into. Portia, you brought up a really interesting point. So this is related to like me trying to go back to the mind of like a seven-year-old, kind of like trying mm-hmm. to be like an inquisitive child again. And I feel like that's something that that Peace Corps is really good for. Mm-hmm. So I feel like you know Peace Corps is really, in my experience, is really good at immersing us in something that we don't know and kind of forcing us to be in the position of, of a learner mm-hmm. again. And so uh, I would definitely recommend to any uh, new volunteers, anyone interested in Peace Corps, to just be open-minded with the experience and be ready to learn something new. And then um, on, on a black tip, so for those black volunteers that are applying, um, I would say uh, be black and proud in your community and know that uh, your Peace Corps experience as a black American, you're going to learn a lot and you're going to teach a lot. Um, so just take that with you and um, have a great experience being black outside of America. Because yes. I'm black, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I like my well, baby. You hear me? I wasn't going to take it there, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> you're an afro. Uh, you had to do it. You had to. You had to put the Beyonce in there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, my am the So Phoebe, who wasn't able to do the podcast, she served in Macedonia. She texted me the night before this Black College Expo was happening, and she said, oh, on the Facebook group, you know, they're looking for volunteers to help share their story at the Black College Expo. Like, you live in Oakland, can you do it? And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's last minute, but I have to do this. (laughs) It's one of those things, like... I had to do it. Like, I had to be there and tell my story to people who look like me, particularly young people, because I can't tell you the number of people who think, like, oh, Peace Corps, like, black people don't do that. People that I've come into contact with who have said that think of, you know, it being a thing that white people do. (laughs) So um, to tell young people and to get it in their heads to say, you know, you should be, you should have this opportunity as much as anyone else, and it should be representative of you too. And just to share my experience and put it out there that, like, you know, people that look like them, who come from backgrounds like them, you know, we're able to do this. And, you know, I've come to learn that the only way that you can make the Peace Corps organization more representative is to actualize it yourself, to you know, put that into place by talking to people and encouraging them to serve, like, despite whatever, you know, challenges there are, like, the only way that it's going to get better is if you share your story and you tell people, like, this is for you, you, this opportunity is there for you, and you should be able to be successful in it. Thanks for listening to the Poshcore Podcast. This episode was produced and recorded by Lauren Schwartzman, Adrian Hall, and Alan Toth. Special thanks to Portia Boykin, Olivia Oxley, Stephen Ellison, and Ryan Carriker-Ford. Additional consulting from Phoebe Phillips and Craig Chavis, Jr.